Please be seated and good to see you. Turn in your scriptures to Matthew 5, or sorry, Matthew 18. It's our gospel reading for today. And it's a good one. Artist Mako Fujimara reflected on the Japanese tradition of kintsugi, kintsugi, which is translated roughly into English as golden repair. This is what Mako writes. When in Japan, when precious tea bowls break, the families of the tea masters will often keep the broken bowls and have them mended by artisans who, who use a lavish technique known as kintsugi. Kintsugi masters mend tea bowls with Japan lacquer and gold. A bowl mended with gold is actually more valuable than the original tea bowl was uh, before it broke. He says this, kins this kintsugi bowl has been broken and mended, but in the process, it has become a new creation. Isn't that beautiful? And you know, the church is like a kintsugi bowl Broken, often relationally, yet repaired with gold. The bond that we have in Jesus is so precious, so delicate. And when we sit against one another, that, there's a crack or there's a shatter in that bond. But we're going to see in Jesus' teaching from Matthew 18 that the Lord is going to equip us, the Lord Jesus will equip us with the lacquer and the gold to mend the cracks. But he not only gives us the material we need, but he lends his skillful hands to help us with that mending process. We're not doing it without him. And then as a result, you know what happens? The bond that we share becomes even more precious. Every one of us here is like an artist of reconciliation, delicately and directly piecing back broken relationships with the help of the living God. Now, like any art form, this is going to challenge us and we will need the Holy Spirit to help us um, and give us new levels of courage and skill and maturity to pull it off. So that's why we prayed at the beginning to, to, for the Holy Spirit's help. And we continue to pray throughout this sermon and this week that the Lord would um, help us obey his call to mend broken relationships. Here's a few caveats that I want to say right at the beginning. Number one is we're talking about direct, uh, some might call it, confrontation. Um, really, this is about reconciliation, and it takes a lot of discernment. This is where black and white categories don't help very well. It takes discernment to know if something is actually a sin issue or not. Often, it's just hurt feelings or miscommunication. So most of the time, we're going to another person who hurt us, seeking understanding, not assuming. We're not going in having read someone's mind. We're not going in with intuition. We're going in with facts and sharing our heart and inviting the other person to share their heart. It's always good to double check and uh, to ask, did this person really sin or am I just wounded? Perhaps maybe they, they are um, advancing, getting more praise than me, or um, maybe it's because their offhand remark was not directed at me. We spend time in self-reflection. And sometimes I will say that as a caveat, sometimes it's not wise to do this, especially if there's a significant power imbalance and there's been pain. For instance, a survivor of physical or sexual abuse should not be forced to undergo this process, for instance. Um, for most circumstances, this will be between two Christians who genuinely care about one another and who have a stake in each other's lives. 
This process for sure could be weaponized, has been weaponized in a number of ways, but it's still good. We should still use it just with wisdom. So I want to talk, first of all, about this most simple action step. You know, that phrase like you had one job. Okay. And, and so for all of us, it's like you have one job. And the key verse in our gospel reading is the first verse, verse 15. Listen, if we could obey this one sentence from Jesus Christ, we would save ourselves so much unnecessary pain and drama. Verse 15 applies to Christian relationships, but also you can put this to work in your neighborhood, your workplace, your next large family gathering, say at Thanksgiving. Um, so what's the verse? Verse 15. Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell them their fault between you and them alone. If they listen to you, you have gained your brother or sister. All right, Jesus is going to speak to a situation that we've all experienced, right? We've all been there. Um, a brother or a sister sins against us. Jesus asks us to approach them directly and privately to discuss the offense. And if they listen, we've won them, that the repair is made. Now, some may be asking the question, this is totally not worth it. Um, it sounds way too awkward to be worth the effort. And also, who am I to judge? Um, you know, or you might be thinking, you know, they wronged me. They should be coming to me asking for forgiveness. Why should I be going to them? And so let's just acknowledge that there's something implicit in Jesus's teaching. And that is that sin is real. Sin is real. Sin is destructive enough to break up a family, isn't it? Whether biological or spiritual. Maybe you could tell me a story about how sin has really ruined someone's lives or ruined a family or ruined a group. We can see it ruining the uh, country of Ukraine right now because there's incredible sin going on right now. It's destructive in small ways and large ways. Sin often results in hurt feelings, yet is so much more than hurt feelings. So Jesus is not referencing really, I felt hurt. He's referencing a moral injury like injustice, deception, strife, violence of any kind, gossip, insults, coveting your neighbor's possessions, sexual sin, financial sin, living a double life, addictions, or being passive in the face of evil. Why did God give us the Ten Commandments, for instance? Or the Sermon on the Mount? Or why did Paul list out the works of the flesh in Galatians 5? Well, God wants us to not hurt ourselves and other people. He's really, he's saying, here are ways that you can go wrong. Please don't break yourselves over the 10 commandments. Sin is like a rainstorm that floods basements. Anyone had a basement flood recently? Okay. Sin creates destruction and it a mess. And so listen, if you're a homeowner in Chicago and it rains, it does no good to pretend that it didn't happen. It does no good to pretend, who am I to judge the rain down there? You got you to gotta put your rain boots on, go down into the mess, into the destruction, and address it directly. No one enjoys this, right? There's no spiritual gift of addressing sin any more than there's a spiritual gift of doing the household chores. But guess what? If those dishes don't get washed, it's going to be a really bad situation. And the chores need to be done and sin needs to be addressed. No one likes to do, in fact, if you like doing it, you probably shouldn't be doing it. 
So it's not just for the professionals. It's not just for the clergy. It's not just for the pastors, the leaders. It's for everyone who loves and follows Jesus, all who are living members of the body of Jesus Christ. Hey, here's another objection. If someone sins against me, they are toxic and unsafe, and I need to establish a permanent boundary by never talking with them again. All right, what do we say to that? Well, some people do have toxic patterns, and some are unsafe to approach directly, right? Yet in most cases, we simply don't know how someone will respond. It's wrong and potentially unjust to assume they will not repent. Jesus uses a family word here, adelphos, and that is literally translated into the English brother. And not just any brother, your brother. That's what Jesus said. Now, I've made a translation decision to include sister as well, since the reference is clearly to any disciple of Jesus, not just the male ones. Whether brother or sister, what? They're family, right? They're not your mortal enemy. They're not discardable, and Jesus wants you to win them back. It would be a great loss for us to write them off. In many cases, it would be such a loss for us to write, back some, write off someone we could win. In order for that to happen, the Lord has to make our heart tender, doesn't he? Um, Galatians 6 calls this restoring someone in, quote, a spirit of gentleness. Could we be cultivating a spirit of gentleness towards that brother or sister? So I want you to see the balance here. On the one hand, we're not minimizing sin. On the other hand, we're not minimizing the dignity of the brother or sister in Christ. Jesus calls us to hold both together and initiate a conversation that is marked by tenderness and truth. We're tender towards our brother or sister, and we're telling the truth about the offense against us. So we take a simple step. Again, verse 15, if your brother or sister sins against you, Go and tell them their fault between you and them alone. Bitterness is when we confess someone else's sins to ourselves over and over again. And that's not going to create a tender heart. Gossip is when we confess someone else's sins to other people. And that's not going to create a tender heart. That's just going to cause drama. Slander is when we confess someone else's sins in order to damage their reputation. And that's up in the ante. And all three are unhealthy and just kind of sinful responses that only serve to multiply the damage of sin. Jesus shows us a better way. He says, seek a private, personal, and direct conversation with the offending party. Friend, can we talk about something that happened? I love you. Um, or in the context of a, like a neighbor or office relationships, I, I care about this relationship. And I want to work this out. This is, my friends, a face-to-face -face conversation. We don't do this over GIF or GIF. We don't do this via Snapchat. We don't do this via text. Maybe we use text to set up the conversation, but face-to-face, -face, maybe a, a video conference, at the very least, a phone call. 93% uh, of communication is uh, uh, nonverbal, right? And so we want that other 93% in the mix that's going to help. And it takes a lot of maturity and grace to be direct, doesn't it? It's so much easier to be indirect. But Jesus calls us to go straight to the source and tell the person about the uh, initial issue. Um, for the conflict averse among us, it might feel like death. And I've sometimes felt like I was going to die 
whether I was on the receiving end or the initiating end of this conversation. But I can tell you, I'm alive today. Most of the time, you know what happens? The person shows a lot of appreciation for the risk that you're taking, that you care enough about them to initiate a difficult conversation and even put your own reputation at risk in the process. So before we label it sin, it's best to just let the person know they've hurt you and treated you unjustly. And sometimes we might interpret something as sin that really wasn't. So let's just have the conversation. Now our goal, what's our goal? Really important. It's not to win. It's to win them. Um, Jesus said, if they listen to you, you've gained your brother or sister. Do you know what it's like to gain a brother or sister? Any older siblings out there know what it was like when your younger siblings came home? Maybe you didn't love that moment particularly, but you gained a brother or sister. It's so precious and good to gain a sibling in Christ. Have you ever been separated for a long time from a beloved family member and then you see them again? Maybe you didn't want to be separated from them, but you get to see them again, how precious that is. That's what Jesus wants for us. It's just important to remember that in moments of conflict. When we tell our brother or sister the offense that we have against them, you know what? They might react defensively and might feel like you have to win the argument. So that's the temptation. And that's the moment to remember winning them back is so much better than proving we're right. We're seeking not to own our brother or sister with a clever comeback. We're out to win our brother or sister with a gentle response, right? And the stakes are so high. James uh, 5 verses 19 and 20 says this, whoever brings back a sinner from his or her wandering will save their soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. That's some high stakes right there. And all of us have a role to play. Salvation history is playing itself out in our midst. Isn't that amazing? Um, I know of one man who literally risked his life to have a conversation like this. Most of us aren't gonna have a situation like the one I'm about to tell you, but um, there's a man I know about, his name's Nate. And uh, Nate uh, was in spiritual community with a man called Dave. And Dave was an extraordinary, extraordinarily successful man, right? Um, he started out in agriculture, then he moved to music. He was successful in both instances. Then he went into the military, had a very successful military career. Then he went into government, had a very successful government career and just kept getting promoted and promoted and promoted. He also was a man of God. He also loved the Lord. And he was in spiritual community with Nate. Sometime in midlife, Dave grew restless, okay? And he actually, out of his own restless heart, he, he, he lost his focus. And so he actually had an affair with one of his employees' wives. And then to cover it up, he actually had that employee killed. And you would think that, you would think that this was an irredeemable situation and that this man was gone forever. But Nate approached him and said, and actually didn't, didn't start out saying, you're guilty of all these things. He told a story to Dave using an animal, one of Dave's favorite animals from his growing up years. And that opened Dave's heart. And then Nate said, um, you know, you are guilty of a major sin and there's gonna be incredible consequences for you and you need to repent. And Dave repented. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? This is King David in 2 Samuel 17. You can read all about it and you can read all about Nathan who had the guts to risk his life to have that conversation. Now, most of us, it's going to be our role as a kintsugi artist. Restoring relationships is gonna be different. 
It's going to be it's going to be as simple as a wife who tells her husband, "I feel hurt that you raised your voice in our conversation last night." It's going to be a roommate who who tells her friend, "Hey, I need to talk with you about your excessive drinking because I'm concerned about you and this is impacting our relationship and I'm concerned for your soul." It's a member of a city group telling their family or their uh, fellow Emmanuelite, "Hey, I heard that you shared my confidential prayer request outside the group." And I feel kind of embarrassed by that. I'm, I'm a little ticked off, but I, maybe I don't have all the facts. Can we talk about this? You know, in so many cases, this process heals hurts, stops sinful patterns, prevents drama. It's just a great tool for resolving conflict, truth, and tenderness in a direct conversation. But sometimes they don't listen. And so um, maybe they say, you know what? This isn't sin, or I don't care. And you see them going down the road of destruction and you're like, this is going to get worse. And I care too much about the relationship to say, who am I to judge? And so this is why Jesus gives us the next step in verse 16. But if they do not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Okay, here's Jesus encouraging us to take one or two other caring Christians who care about this person to have a private face-to-face conversation. Um, Two or three people are gonna see the situation from multiple vantage points and carry more weight and carry more gravity into the situation and give a well-rounded perspective on the person who's being addressed. Now, usually step two is more than just usually one meeting or conversation. Think of step two as a season of loving intervention. This is uh, when other leaders from the church can help. Clergy and other trustworthy believers can get involved. Now, only after repeated attempts of long periods of prayer, fasting, and pleading for repentance do we move to step three. Verse 17, if they refuse to listen to the church, listen to them, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. What is Jesus referring to? It's not a gossip campaign that Jesus is talking about to smear someone or shame them. It's a clear statement to the larger church community that someone in our fellowship is unwilling to repent of their sin. This radical step called for in scripture has sometimes been misused. So there's great need to proceed lovingly and prayerfully. The purpose is to restore this person back because maybe they will listen to the church and sometimes they have. It takes actually some history and some time in a church to see this play out in a healthy way, but it does happen. Now, if someone does not listen to the wider body of Christians, the relationship changes. Jesus says, let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And that means that this individual is no longer really a follower of Jesus. Jesus still loves them and we still love them, yet we're no longer yoked to them spiritually. And I think it's important as a matter of discernment to know with whom are we yoked in a spiritual way. Now, why would Jesus ask us to carry out such an intense and intentional process? Because it sounds so severe. But we have to ask ourselves the question, if the destruction, uh, what is more severe, the destruction that sin brings or the restoration that this process seeks? What's more severe? Sin causes so much pain. It ruins lives. It ruins churches. It ruins cultures. And if it's unaddressed in a family, 
it haunts family members into the third or fourth generation. That's borne out by scripture as well as sound psychological principles. Maybe a better question to ask is this, and I ask it with a loving heart. If sin is so destructive that it could condemn someone's soul and we could lose a member of our spiritual family, why don't we step in as Jesus taught us? Is it because really that we love our brother or sister too much? Is that really the reason? Or is it, as Paul Tripp suggests, because we love ourselves too much? Would we really be willing to passively let someone destroy themselves and others so that we can hold on to our reputations and our comfort? May the Lord have mercy on us whenever we've done this. In fact, the Lord is ready to help us with this work in a direct and personal way. He says in verses 18 and, uh, through 20, he says, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever's loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. And if you agree about anything, he says, truly, I say to you, if you agree about anything, it will be done for them by my father in heaven, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. Here are remarkable promises from our Lord. He has promised to be with us when we gather in his name every single time. That means that he is here in our midst, listening to this sermon and listening to our hearts. He is the head of the church and we listen to him and we follow his cues. So even as we work through conflict, we're seeking the word of Jesus to dwell richly among us, the spirit of Jesus to bind us together in unity, the sacrament of Jesus to feed us, he is our king, he's in our midst, especially when we submit to him. So along the way, there's going to be some binding and loosing. What does that mean? That means consequential decisions that we make to the best of our ability about important matters. As long as we are under the authority of King Jesus and his word, these decisions will be honored and sealed in heaven. Our actions on earth will have consequences in heaven and our prayers will be heard by the Father. And this is all available to us through the blood of Jesus. But if we will not deal directly with our sin, we forfeit this authority. For instance, if we harbor bitterness and fail to address offenses directly, uh, we forfeit that authority. If we don't confess our sins and we fail to seek forgiveness of those that we've harmed, or if we pretend to not see sin that's there, um, perhaps the biggest thing that we miss when we don't do this is the sweetened, deepened connection when conflict has been resolved well. Any of you know this? You know, I was talking with a friend, my be the best man in my wedding. We were catching up over the phone, and he recently moved from one side of, or one area of the country to a completely different region of the country. And I was like, what was the hardest thing about the move for you? And he, you know what he told me? He told me, honestly, Aaron, the community I was a part of, I was there long enough where I sinned against them and they came and talked to me about it and we worked things out and long enough for them to sin against me and I went to them and worked out the hurt feelings and they, and they made amends. And he said, Aaron, that kind of community, the level of richness, the level of intimacy, the level of connection, you just can't get that quickly, you know? And I've been thinking about all the times he did that with me, like over the years when he would come to me or he would let me come to him and we would work through sin or hurt feelings. 
I'm like, no wonder he was my best man. This guy's good at this, right? He's a kintsugi artist, but the, we, all of us are. All of us, all of us are learning this imperfectly. And, and so, you know, back to the kintsugi illustration, it's gold. It's a, it's a golden lacquer that brings the teapot together, makes it so valuable. Um, in our church and in the church of Jesus around the world, you know, it's, it's the, the lacquer is red because it's the blood of Jesus that bonds us together, his forgiveness, right? And, um, and, our, and our willingness to, to obey Jesus's teachings and play this out in real time and apply the blood of Jesus to the sins that have been committed and the conflict that's there. Um, it's, it's the blood of Jesus. And, and we become like that kintsugi bowl, that tea, that tea bowl that is more valuable and bonded and precious than it, than it was even before it broke. So take heart, my friends. This can be done. This will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. Almighty Father, whose blessed Son before his passion prayed for his disciples that they may be one as you and he are one, grant that your church, being bound together in love and obedience to you, may be united in one body by the same Spirit, that the world may believe in him whom you have sent, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.